0: You are listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. We're in a series, as you know, uh, on 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14. We're in a, a larger series on 1 Corinthians, but we've been in this series within a series on the gifts of the Spirit, and we're finishing that off today. And so if you have a Bible, in whatever form it is, find First Corinthians chapter 14. We're looking at verses 33, or halfway through verse 33 to the end of the text, end of chapter 14. Uh, what I would like to do is I'll read it, and then I'll pray, and we'll start walking through it together. This is what Paul writes. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or a spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, this he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues but all things should be done decently and in order this is the word of the Lord let me pray and we'll start walking through some things together so guide us now I I join uh, with Allison and what she's prayed guide us now give us ears to hear I I do pray uh, against any distractions. I pray that I would not get in the way of this text, but I also pray that the things that are going on in our lives, both good and hard, wouldn't distract us from hearing what the Spirit has to say to Midtown today. So guide us, uh, do a work in us, I pray, for your glory's sake and for our good. And I pray for these things in the great name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. I was uh, out with Lee Francois this week. Some of you know Lee, he's spoken here. He's actually gonna be speaking here in a couple of weeks again. Uh, he's the lead pastor of Crossridge Church out in Cloverdale. And we went out for lunch together and he's part of our lead team and gives some oversight and some accountability to us, uh, not by himself, but with others. And he was just checking in on me. Uh, over lunch, we were talking about this text And I told him that I actually enjoy teaching on texts like this. I don't know if people enjoy me teaching on texts like this, but I enjoy teaching on texts like this because I think the Bible should confront us at times. I don't think the Bible should be safe all the time. Good, but not safe, uh, to borrow from C.S. Lewis, I don't think it's a role. Its role, excuse me, is to simply affirm what we think. I think there are times where it should rock us. I think if God is God and we are not, then we should expect to be challenged by him and his word at times at least. But as I just mentioned, I believe God is good all the time. And therefore, I believe God's instruction is always for our good and not enslavement. I think that's actually an overarching theme of the Christian faith. I believe we become more by reflecting someone else and that someone else has given us a word. This is part of that word that he's given us. And I believe that the aim of God's word is that we flourish. And Jesus is exalted categorically. Why would we think any different? And therefore, there will come times, there must come times, where there is a call of faith that comes with the application of the scriptures. We are not finished products. We are works in progress. We are going through a process of change and transformation from one degree to the next, and that requires change and transformation. I also believe that every dot on every curve of every letter of what I just read is God-breathed, and as God-breathed, as any other passage in the Bible. But with that being said, this is a difficult passage. This passage is a challenge, and it's a challenge for a number of reasons. One is because Paul says that what he writes here are the very commands of Jesus. Take a look at verse 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord, which means if you disagree with Paul, you disagree with Jesus himself. And therefore, we must be very, very careful in how we deal with this text, But maybe, just maybe, what he writes as a command of the Lord isn't for us, but for them. Maybe this is something that Paul is writing, just addressing something that was going on in the Corinthian church that doesn't, again, pertain to us. Maybe we're just reading someone else's mail, so to speak. Or, as some say, maybe Paul was bullying them, bullying them, Maybe, maybe he just hates women. Or maybe Paul is using the Lord's name in vain, or maybe he writes this because he's been heavily influenced by the culture of his day, and he's just placating to it. All things, as I said, suggested by some regarding this text. So that's one of the challenges, though, of what Paul says in verse 37, that this is a command of the Lord. But another challenge, a second one, comes for women specifically. And it comes because Paul writes in verses 34 and 35 that women should keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak. That it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. You could fill libraries full of the books written on these two verses. Part of the difficulty is we have people, we have women that speak here all the time. Allison just did. She prayed, she led us in a time of response. She led us in worship. So how do we reconcile that in light of the seeming clear direction of verses 34 and 35? Another challenge. The other challenge, another challenge is the challenge for men in this text. And we'll come back to that in just a bit. A fourth challenge is for the teacher of, the, of this text. That's me today, but I'm not alone. This, this passage is challenging for anybody who attempts to teach it. And that challenge comes for two reasons primarily, two overarching reasons. One, we just don't like this text. This passage is not received well today. Some are almost embarrassed by it because it sounds archaic. It it sounds sexist. It sounds patriarchal. It sounds misogynistic. It's shameful for a woman to speak. I do not permit a woman to speak. Women should keep silent. Imagine that guy being your blind date ladies. But if you throw it aside, what do you do with the rest of what Paul wrote? It's a fair question. A second reason this challenges teachers is because only a few chapters back, if you go back to chapter 11, Paul was talking about head coverings. Remember that? Do you remember why he was talking about head coverings? Well, let me remind you, he was talking about head covering, saying to women, women, if you want to pray or prophesy, cover your heads. Now, I know I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Okay, don't say amen to that. I know I'm not the smartest guy in the room. But I do know and I do believe that praying and prophesying requires that you speak. Tough to be silent while praying and prophesying. There's also Peter's sermon in Acts chapter two that we looked at in our series where he says that in the church age, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, our daughters will prophesy. So what do we do with that incongruity? We'll get there. My goal today is to be as helpful as I can, but I don't think I'm going to satisfy everyone completely today. I'm not sure if I'm totally satisfied with my take on this text. I'm going to try to be helpful at the back end on how I think we should apply this text. But I'm, I'm convinced, even though I'm not convinced of my take totally on this text, I am convinced that there is a call for us today. And that call will push into some of us today. And I also feel no impetus to save Paul from himself. I'm not going to apologize for him. I'm not going to defend him, but nor, nor am I going to do a bunch of exegetical gymnastics in an attempt to make this text say what it doesn't, just to make us feel comfortable. I'm also not going to throw Paul under the bus, as many do. What I am going to do, as best I can, is allow Paul to speak in context, as he wrote under the full inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And let those Holy Spirit-infused chips fall where they may. So my message this morning, if you like taking notes with that as just sort of an intro to it, is built on the following four points. We'll put them on the screen if you want to follow along. Four points, the call to women, the call to men, the authority of Paul, and the warning to all. One of the greatest outlines I think I've ever come up with, because it rhymes, we should put beats to it, it's great. So let's take them one at a time first and where we will spend most of our time is the call to women. And we're going to spend most of our time here because this requires the most attention. As I mentioned a moment ago, the call to women in this text shows up in verses 34 and 35. And because I know you can't get enough of it, let me read it again. Okay. Paul writes, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. That's a really important phrase. Note it. What is the law that, is he, that he's referring to? We'll try to define that a little bit later. If there, excuse me, as I wipe my nose, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask, ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church, How do people, how do ministries, how do churches respond to this? Well, some take it at face value and as absolute. Women, they say, should play no role in the church gathering. They should stay silent. And how do they reconcile that with chapter 11? Remember the head covering chapter. They say that chapter 11 is about the home. And that chapter 14 is about the gathering, which means a couple things. One, that the gift of prophecy for women or married women is restricted to home use only. And in the home, women must cover their heads when they pray and prophesy. Which would mean that greater restrictions are placed on married women than they are on single women. It would also ignore that the gift of prophecy is a gift, as we've seen, for the common good. I don't share this view, just so you know, because I don't believe Paul is restricting women to not speak altogether or only at home. But I do believe he is restricting a certain kind of speech, and we'll get there in a bit. But then there's the other side of of the discussion on where people land. Some would disagree with any kind of restriction on women. Speaking especially. Many churches in this city hold to that view. So how do they approach this passage? Well, many ways. One of the more popular, they say that Paul was addressing something specific going on in the Corinthian church. I hinted at that earlier. Such as women who were false teachers. Or women who are uneducated. This is a similar argument used um, in response to Paul's teaching on a similar topic in 1 Timothy 2. So that's the argument, though. So Paul is addressing something very specific, and we would agree that even today we shouldn't have false teachers in the church. We shouldn't have just anybody saying anything if they don't have a, a solid education behind them, that kind of thing. But if that was the case, then why would he single single out all women? And why would he not include men? Why would he just single out false teachers, both men and women? But he only singles out women. So why? Because in other places, Paul calls out false teachers who are male That's the whole impetus behind the writing of 1 Timothy, to tell Timothy, there are men in your church teaching wrong doctrine. You need to speak into that. Another suggestion is that Paul was addressing women who were calling out in the gathering. So gathering, things are going on, perhaps they didn't know what was going on, didn't have experience in the church, and so they were literally interrupting the gathering or perhaps even ridiculing their husband's teaching. Now that's all bad, but again, why would he call out women, all women, and not just those who are guilty of doing that? Because Paul wasn't hesitant to call people out by name, both men and women in his letters. But that's another suggestion about what Paul is addressing here. Regardless though, some say this has nothing to do with us today. Others just ignore this text. They just don't go here. Or they say that Paul just contradicts himself in chapters 11 and 14, just made a mistake. Others, as I hinted at earlier, call Paul a misogynist and a hater of women. After all, back in chapter 7 of this letter, Paul said, I would rather have you stay single than get married. So maybe he just hates women. And then there are those who say that this was written in in a different culture. And he was simply deferring to that culture. And for that reason, it doesn't pertain to us. Was, was it written in a different culture? Well, of course, uh, the whole Bible is. Uh, the, the Bible is a book at minimum 2,000 years old, written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, and penned by mainly agrarian and agrarian and nomadic people who lived in Africa, Europe and Asia. Very different culture, very different time, very different people. But if you want to use the culture argument against it and many do, then you must be okay to do that with all of the Bible. Jesus after all is a Jewish messiah who came to fulfill a promise made first to a man and a woman who walked around naked in a garden eating fruit all day. That's how it begins. But the first promise of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah who would crush the head of the serpent, begins there. So very different culture. But if we ignore what Paul writes here, because he was simply deferring to his culture, aren't we doing the exact same thing when we defer to ours? Additionally, to use the culture argument means that you have to ignore the many places where the Bible runs upstream from culture. On topics like marriage, topics like divorce, parenting, human sexuality, topics like those addressed in the scripture aren't taking their cues from the culture of the day. They're speaking into them. Even though we read this about possible restrictions on women, Paul's teaching on women in the church ran entirely against the culture of the time. And then there's the exclusivity of Jesus. Again, none of those topics take their cues from the culture. And we need to remember, there's a reason why most of the apostles were martyred. And it wasn't because they were simply going along with things. So what then is the call to women specifically in the, in the church in general and in this passage? Well, my answer is that there is a certain kind of speech reserved for men alone in the church. And that call is specific to a teaching capacity that has a specific authority attached to it. And it's built on an order that's been since the garden. That's the law I believe Paul refers to in verse 34. This is the law that I would argue stands above the culture. I think there is something given to us in these writings of Paul that stands above, that supersedes the culture then and today. And I don't say that because I think that men are killing it in the church. Because I don't think men are killing it in the church. I say it because of three things, the immediate context, the broader context, and the gospel context. Let me go through this with you one at a time. The immediate context is what? Well, it's the discussion about tongues. And, and prophecy and order. That's what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. And this immediate context is vital for in the middle of Paul's teaching on interpretation of prophecies, he adds this about women speaking, and we know he's not referring, referring to all speech because of the arguments I've already given. And so we must conclude he has another kind, a specific kind of speech in mind. And I believe this kind has to do with the interpretation of prophecy and also the order of the home and the church. Women are not to weigh in on the oral interpretation of prophecy and supersede this specific call of men. This, I believe, is the immediate context. And this is supported, number two, by the broader context found in other places such as 1 Timothy 2, where Paul writes, and you can read this behind me, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And then he says this, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Sounds very similar to our text. It's also why I argue that the law is going, taking us back to the garden, uh, that Adam was formed first, then Eve, and the call is that women in certain contexts are to remain quiet. Quiet not as they can't talk, obviously, but quiet meaning there is a certain call, there's a certain office reserved for qualified men only. That this can't refer to all speech shows up in a lot of places, but one of those is Titus chapter 2, where Paul instructs women to teach and to train other, other women in the church. Elsewhere, we read of the teaching of Apollos by Priscilla. Speaking of Priscilla, Paul also mentions the support and par- partnership of women often in his, in his ministry. Priscilla, for one, Phoebe, Junia, Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis. And remember that the Philippian church was planted in Lydia's house. So it, does, it just doesn't seem that Paul is anti-woman, as some suggest. And remember that Paul goes out of his way to write that in the kingdom of God, here in the kingdom of God, there is no distinction between genders. Here, there is no slave or free, Jew or Greek, male or female. Paul write, writes that a number of times. Galatians 3 specifically is one of those examples. So why the guy that wrote that? Why this? Are are women just not as gifted as men? Are men smarter than women? Are men more able? I have a tough time even asking the questions because of how asinine they are. Personally. Women workers and teachers and authors have made as much an impact on me as men have. Kay Arthur, 30 years ago, shaped how I study the Bible today. I also appreciate Nancy Guthrie's teaching ministry. Rebecca McLaughlin, she thinks as deep and wide as any man I've ever read. And perhaps my favorite Christian book of all time is Total Truth by Nancy Piercy. See, women have impacted me greatly. I have been taught much by them. I'm married to a woman who has taught me more than anyone else about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. A a, a woman who has taught my sons more than I have. So again, why this? Well, this leads us to the gospel context. The immediate context was 1 Corinthians 14. Prophecy, tongues, order, interpretation. The deeper or broader context, the rest of the New Testament. This isn't the only place that speaks on this topic. And then there's the gospel context. What do I mean by the gospel context? Well, the overarching story of God. And to understand that story, we must be reminded that you and I, men and women, are created for God's glory and not ours. And specifically created to image Christ and the church. And the call for men in that story is to model himself after Christ and lead as modeled by Christ and die for his bride. And the call to women in that story is to model herself after the church and to submit to their husbands. And if you aren't married, to submit yourself under the eldership of the church, as we're all called to do. This was the display that Paul paints a a beautiful picture of in Ephesians 5. That marriage is about Christ and the church, not the other way around. And therefore, I I don't think Paul is a misogynist. And nor nor do I think he placates to the culture. And, And nor do I feel any need to apologize on behalf of Paul. Because when I look at how the world is doing men and women today, marriage today, family today, gender today, the Bible has nothing to apologize for. And nor do I think he is only speaking to something exclusive to the church in Corinth because he writes in verses 33 and 34, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, which tells us that he's not just addressing something exclusive to the Corinthians. That's point number one. Point number two. And I'll wrap up the next three a lot quicker than how I spent the time I spent in point one. But point number two is the call. The call of men or the call to men in this text. I said that I would come back to this. In verse 35, Paul writes that if a, a woman is wanting to learn, she should ask her husband at home. I don't think most woman, women could today. If anything, the roles are reversed. See, biblical illiteracy isn't generally a female issue in the church. It's, it's a male one. Women are killing it in the church. Most men today in the church have usurped their call of being competent, competent at-home theologians. My aim, though, isn't to beat up men. That has happened a lot over the years. I'm not going to beat men up this morning. I think most of you, the ones I know, you're working hard. You're paying the bills. You're coaching your kids' teams. You're loving your family. That's great. I think that's great. That's part of our call. My pastoral reminder, though, is that you have a higher call To make time to pray and to be in the word and be ready with an answer if someone asks. Which means that you have a call to say no to things in place of more important things and lead your family in that. And not being married doesn't exempt you from this or from leaving childish ways behind. And doesn't exempt you from growing in the Lord either because this call may change and be part of your life one day too. So that's the call to men. Call to women, call to men, which leads us to the authority of Paul. Take a look at verses 36 to 38 one more time, if you don't mind. Or was it from you that the word of God came or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual He should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. I don't have the time to unpack these verses in great detail, but I do at the very least wish to simply say that Paul is addressing here the arrogance of the Corinthians. He's calling them out for acting in a way contrary to the other churches and the direction of Paul. And he says that if they resist what he's writing, they're resisting the very commands of Jesus. He's also saying that his authority, and hear this, please, Midtown. He's also saying that his authority and written word supersedes any so-called call from God or word from God they say they received. That's what he says in verse 38. 37 and 38. How do we respond to this? Because this is big authority, the authority of Paul. Well, there's two primary ways. One, we could just simply say Paul was full of himself and he's just again bullying them, or maybe he's using the Lord's name in vain, springing Jesus into it. Maybe this is just simply another example of spiritual abuse, especially towards women. That's one possible response. People hold that response and believe that's perhaps what's taking place here. Or two, Paul had a, a clear sense of his call and his calling. And reminding his readers of this wasn't, wasn't arrogance. But a recognition of that call and their call to be wholly devoted to the apostles' teaching. I would suggest that the authority of the apostles' written word continues today. That one of the marks of the New Testament church is being wholly devoted to the apostles' teaching. So those are the two options one, he's just being a bully or he had a clear sense of his call, his calling, his authority, and he was reminding them of that. If that's the case, if it's the second option, this leads us to the warning to all. I can't skate over this. Because Paul writes that what he writes are the very commands of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Recognized by who? Well, not the church. The church is the problem here. The the answer is the Lord. Meaning if you think you have the gift of prophecy, and I'm just quoting Paul here, if you think you have the gift of prophecy or consider yourself spiritual, you will know what Paul says is from Jesus himself. And if you don't recognize that, then the Lord won't recognize you. Wow. What do we do with that? Well, one commentator put it this way. Submission to the apostolic writings is our call not simply because they are the writings of an apostle, but because they are the Lord's command and therefore tied irrevocably to the believer's confession that Jesus is Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Jesus asked. As Jesus says in the Great Commission, go and make disciples teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Quite the warning. So the question comes as I make a turn for home is what do we do with this from an application standpoint? I've wrestled with that this week. And I'm thankful that this isn't the only place Paul talks On this topic, it it certainly seems that this is not a let's agree to disagree issue in Paul's eyes. I say that because of the warning he gives. And so we should pause before we just throw this text aside. This is certainly a text that every church should wrestle over. This is also a text that I believe every family should wrestle over. Every marriage should wrestle over. It's texts like this and others, like I took you to 1 Timothy 2. And if you go to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and other places, it's texts like this that have led us to land where we land in our leadership structure in this church. And that we do believe that there are certain offices within the church that are reserved for qualified men. And it 's because of texts like this. I also understand that there are many people who absolutely disagree with my take on this text. Like I said, the city is full of churches that disagree with my take on this text, and that I, I get that. My point today is just to help you understand why you know where, why, why you know where I land, why I land there personally, and why we do as a church, just wanting to walk through this and Respond to common objections. And here's why I land here. This is why we, why we hold to this. Um, again, my life personally and, and we as a church. Um, a, a number of years ago, uh, a, a professor at Regent College, uh, John Stackhouse, took a couple classes with him uh, at Regent. He wrote a book called Finally Feminist. And in the book, if I can sum it up, he essentially says the Bible is very, very clear on its take on the role of women in the church. So there's there's no ambiguity about it. But then he says, I don't agree with it for today. And the reason he gives is because of reason, meaning he says God has given us a gift of reason. We can reason together. And the Bible's take on the role of men and women and women specifically in the church just isn't reasonable. It makes no sense. It's not helpful. Do I believe in reason? Of course. I believe in the gift of wisdom. I believe we're to pray for wisdom. We're to, we're to pray for discernment. We're to wrestle with these things. But when my reason and wisdom and discernment Stand in opposition to God's written word. I choose God's written word. But as I close, and it's never been quieter in here. It's unbelievable how quiet you guys are. Like, quiet, quiet people. But as I close, it's also good to be reminded that we are cracked pots. And we see, we see things here now dimly at best and God uses our imperfections for his glory. Some of the greatest and, and most respected theologians disagree over the application of this text. You see, Midtown, God doesn't use us because we know all things. He uses us because he does. Praise God that he does. But in saying that, those things that we do know, that we have a, a conviction of, we need to be faithful to. So let me end this series by reading verses 39 and 40 one more time and then we'll respond together. If anyone, or excuse me, 30, yeah, 39 and 40. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Would you stand with me as we go into a, a time of responding to the teaching of God's word? I referred to that Ephesians text uh, in my message where, where Paul writes, in Ephesians five about husbands and wives. And one of the things that he says in Hebrews, or excuse me, Ephesians five, verse 25, as husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As we respond to the teaching of God's word, this meal that he has given us is a, a time to remember that, that Jesus gave himself up for his bride, dying for her, shedding his blood for her. If you're a follower of Christ, you identify as a follower of Christ. This is a meal that you're invited to partake in, to remember Jesus and his death by way of this meal. After you examine yourself, you're ready to come. We invite you to come, partake by taking a piece of the bread and dipping it into the wine or the juice. Again, symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus. We also have people down below that would love to pray with you. The band's going to lead us in worship. And then after we're done responding, I'll come up with some last minute stuff before sending you out. Let me pray for us as we respond together. Father, now we do. Um, my, my prayer, this is a heavy message. Uh, I, I know there will be disagreement. I'm not so naive as to, to not know that. But I, I pray that there would be a good wrestle. I, I pray for um, peace. I, I pray for unity. I pray for our community groups this week and those leading them. I pray for healthy discussion. I pray for charity with one another and love for one another. I also pray that we would walk humbly under your hand, too, that we want to be people who recognize when you're speaking. And so I, I pray for that as well. Do a work in us, I pray. For some of us, this perhaps is the first time we've ever wrestled with this topic. So I pray that that wrestle would continue. I pray for training. I, I pray for further equipping in likeness. We want to be faithful to you. So help us in that. And as we respond together, Jesus, may you be pleased with this time. We want you to be pleased with this time. So I pray pray to that end as well. In Jesus, your great name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to midtownchurch.com.